Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you demonstrate your goodness and your love and grace and mercy through faithfulness. We're grateful that you sent your son Jesus to demonstrate what that looks like. And Father, I I pray that as we connect with you, as we place our faith in you, that our own faithfulness will grow. That we can be faithful to the one who is so faithful to us. Thank you for your love and mercy. And now, Father, as we study your word today, I pray that you would open our eyes that we could see wonderful things in it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John, the one that Jesus loved, he was the beloved Apostle because they were really good friends, he works diligently to point out that Jesus is the Messiah. There, there are signs that he is writing about that reveal the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Now, there are lots of things that were going on in Jesus' life that were omitted from the book of John because John had a laser focus toward his purpose. And what was the purpose of writing this book? It was to inspire belief in those who do not yet believe. That was both for the, the recipients of the letter in the first century and for us. John wanted to inspire faith in those who do not yet believe. And so there were lots of things that Jesus did that were omitted. And probably between the third and fourth signs, last week we looked at the third sign, which was the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. This week we're going to look at the fourth sign. But probably between those two, Jesus did more things that you know about than between any other signs. What did he do? I'm really, I appreciate you asking. That that was kind. He delivered the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He formally picked 12 disciples. Now, they had been following him around, but it was during this time that he appointed them his disciples. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He told stories which rocked the foundation of spirituality called parables. They were stories about the kingdom of God. And, of course, he maintained his relentless assault on the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, which, by the way, infuriated them and drew great crowds for the entertainment of watching Jesus challenge the hypocrites. Now, the result of all of that activity is that Jesus' ministry brand was booming. The crowds were clamoring to get closer and closer to Jesus, and what he knew was that he couldn't meet all the demands alone. So he came up with plan. He decided to assign to his 12 disciples a short-term mission trip. And the idea was he wanted to multiply his ministry, and at the same time he wanted to train them for what life would be like when he had ascended into heaven. And so he sends them out, giving them the power and authority to 
do just exactly what he had been doing. They were going to heal people, they were going to cast out demons, and they were going to tell the truth about the nearness of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, and those people needed to repent and prepare themselves to enter it. So, the disciples went out two by two. It was just like God sent the animals to Noah. He sent the disciples out two by two. And they saw God do some amazing things. And when the mission trip was over, they returned to headquarters, anxious to file their reports. But they could barely get to Jesus because of the press of the crowds. So Jesus thought, you know what we need to do? We need to go on a retreat. I, I, I need to get this group of people away so they can tell me exactly what happened and we can celebrate the work that God did through them. So he decided to take them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where they could unpack their experiences in peace. It was an inspired idea. But the best laid plans of mice and men, well, you know what happened. The retreat that never was actually set the stage for the fourth sign that we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles and you want to read along with that, if not, we're going to have this on the screen for you. But we're going to be reading from John chapter 6. If you're new to turning around in your Bible, uh, John is the fourth gospel. It's about three-fourths of the way to the back of the Bible. The New Testament begins with the, word Ma with the book of Matthew. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is exactly what happened when Jesus tried to take the guys across the lake. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. This was after they returned. They're trying to have their meeting. It's not working out. The Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had been performing by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, um, Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a single bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But, um, I mean, how, how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, there was a problem. 
As my grandfather would say, Jesus couldn't get shed of those people. They were all over him. So he decides to get his disciples. They hop in a boat, cross the lake in hopes of finding some peace and quiet, getting some alone time. And so they rode up on shore, found their spot, and sat down to relax and unpack the great things God had been doing. But when Jesus started the talk, he looked up and saw them. It was those rascals that were pressing in on him, and they figured out where he was going, and they ran around the lake to meet him there. And when Jesus looked up, those people were bearing down on him, and it was a multitude of people. And upon seeing them, Jesus immediately goes into hospitality mode. How can we serve these people? And so he turns to Philip and says, Hey, Philip, where can we get provisions for the crowd? Now, you may be wondering why Philip drew the short straw. He turned to Philip because he was from that neck of the woods. All right, that, This was his home territory. And so, of course, he would know where the Publix was. But where Jesus was thinking food, Philip immediately begins thinking finances. That was the issue. The issue was not the food. The issue was the finances. Jesus' plan at this moment was to meet their need, to give Philip a test, and at the same time to hang a sign that would reveal his glory and build their faith and ours. That was the big picture. Okay? Meet the need. Test Philip, hang a sign. Jesus had a vision for that crowd. And he wanted to know if Philip could see what he saw. And by the way, I think that's consistent with the way that God interacts with us. He wants to know if we see what he sees. The question was, Philip, do you have eyes of faith? Or of fear? Do you see the obstacle or the opportunity? Do you see the impossible feeding more than 5,000? Or do you see the possible? Well, what happens? Philip looks up, sees the crowd, sizes them up, runs the numbers, and realizes there is no possible way. It's not happening. So he says to Jesus, calm down. Like, let's, let's be reasonable. It would take six months' wages to feed this group. In other words, forget it. It's not happening. Even if Publix had enough food for all of us, we can't afford it. Hey, Jesus, guess what? Money doesn't grow on trees. And the way Judas has been complaining about the offerings lately, it's not going to happen. There is no way that we can provide for all of these people. It would take a miracle. That, that was Philip's sentiment. I, I gave him a few extra words, but that was the sentiment. By the way, he was failing the test. He was failing the test. But there's good news. His failure wasn't fatal to God's plan. His failure wasn't fatal to God's plan. It just meant that Philip wasn't going to be a part of it. To Philip's detriment. 
So what Jesus decided to do is look for someone else that he could work with. Surely, somebody in the group. Enter Andrew. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, Simon Peter being the most famous of the disciples. Andrew is eavesdropping on the conversation that Jesus is having with Philip. And so he knows what Jesus has in mind. He kind of sees the vision. And he starts looking around for something, anything, that Jesus might be able to work with to fulfill his vision of offering hospitality to those masses. And what does he find? He finds a boy who happened to bring his lunch. Okay? It it was a little more than a first century Happy Meal. Okay, there were five gluten-rich barley biscuits in the Happy Meal and two small fish. That was it. By the way, barley biscuits, they have gluten. So if there was any Syriacs, you know, it wasn't going to work out for them. Gluten-rich. But, like, what good was that little bit of food going to do? Probably not much. But Andrew had a history with Jesus. If you study Andrew's life in the Gospels, you realize that Andrew was always bringing something to Jesus. And when he did, good things happened. He brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, and he was completely transformed. It was miraculous for for that irascible, self-absorbed, hot-headed fisherman to drop everything and follow Jesus was nothing short of a miracle. So Andrew had seen with his own two eyes that when Jesus got his hands on something, good to great things happened. So what did he do? He brought the boy. He he brought the happy meal to Jesus. Now here's, here's something I want you to think about. How much faith did Andrew have in that moment? How much faith? The truth is not much. He had some But not a whole lot. I'm going to show you why in a moment. But what what I want you to think of is that Andrew had starter faith. It was just starter faith. What what did Andrew say when he approached Jesus? Look at verses 8 and 9 again of John chapter 6. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But... I mean, how far will they go among so many? So Andrew's like, oh, look what I found. Jesus can probably use this. It's a boy with a happy meal. He brings it to Jesus, showing some faith. No question about it. Some faith. But there's a disclaimer. How far can this go among so many? In other words, hey, guys, all the disciples listening, I'm not stupid. I know this little bag of groceries isn't going to get the job done, but it's a start. Why the disclaimer? 
Well, we don't really know for sure. But if, if you'll put yourself in Andrew's shoes, I, th- I think there are a couple of reasons why he chose not to be too enthusiastic about bringing the boy with the Happy Meal. One reason, I, <clears throat> I think for sure, is that his friends were with him. You know, it's one thing when we're alone and quiet and inspired by the reading of God's Word or some great worship music to have great faith. But it's another thing to demonstrate great faith when our friends are watching. I can just imagine their eye-rolling skepticism at Andrew. He probably felt it. And it was a barrier. Their opinion of the situation was a barrier to his full faith and confidence in Jesus. Maybe, maybe he just didn't want them to laugh at him for suggesting something as absurd as five biscuits and two sardines. Maybe. Maybe, maybe he was afraid Jesus wouldn't work with his offering. You you know, kind of like we're afraid that Jesus won't respond to us when we take steps of faith. What if he doesn't answer our prayers? Or use our gifts and talents for his glory? Now, we know what the Scripture says, right? The Scripture says that we're to bring everything to Jesus. The Scripture says that we have not because we ask not, so we, we know we have to pray. We know that we're called and equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to serve the church, to serve God's great cause. But sometimes we're not really enthusiastic about what we're going to do because what if we... St- Step out there and our prayers aren't answered. What what if our acts of faith actually aren't honored? we, We bring our requests, we do our work. We do it without a great deal of confidence that God will use them to do any good. It's just, is it self protective? So we serve, we pray, we give with a disclaimer. It's an excuse that we make for God. Or it's an excuse that relieves us of the pressure that builds when we strike out in faith. The bottom line is we we, we don't want others to laugh. We don't want God or ourselves to be embarrassed because He doesn't do... God, think about this, God doesn't do what we think God should do. So our our faith is just starter faith. We'll, We'll do it, but not confident that it's going to make a difference. 
But let me ask you a question. Do you think God is limited by starter faith? No. Why do I say that? Because today, go home, turn on your television. You, you will hear preachers all over the Western world talking about your faith is the most important thing. Wrong. Jesus actually said that the least amount of faith can make the biggest difference. It, it, was, it was mustard seed faith. Now, I'm not discouraging you from having great faith. Please hear me. But here's what I do want you to understand. It's not the size of our faith that matters. It is the object of our faith. It's who we place our faith in. By bringing the boy's offering, Andrew was at least asking. He was at least taking a small risk. Even if he had a disclaimer... Gave Jesus an out in case it wasn't going to work out. But he was at least asking him, why was he? Because he had seen God work. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus was planning to do something great on that hillside that day. So he asked. But there's something we need to remember about this story. Andrew wasn't offering his lunch... It wasn't his lunch he was offering to Jesus. He was offering the boy's lunch. Somebody else's. Now, while we definitely see things from Andrew's perspective and understand his reluctance in like stepping out in faith in that moment, it's actually the little boy's viewpoint that I think we need to consider. Little boy. Happy meal size. Now, I think... When we work through the story, we can find three crystal clear obstacles to his generosity. There were three things that caused him to think, I don't know about all this. You want to know what they are? I hope so. Number one, he didn't have enough. The second obstacle, he didn't have enough. And the third obstacle, he just didn't have enough. Those were the obstacles. First, he didn't have enough to meet his need. There's no way. He, he was a growing boy who needed to eat. And if he gave his food away, he was certainly going to be hungry. But as a matter of fact, he was likely going to be hungry after he ate five little crackers and two small fish. It really wasn't enough to get him through the afternoon with what young people say, quote-unquote, without starving to death. It just wasn't enough. So he didn't have enough to meet his need. Second, he, he knew he didn't have enough to meet their needs. The, I mean, even a small child can understand if it's not enough for me, it's not going to be a drop in the bucket for that big group of people. So... He had to ask himself, what difference is my offering going to make? When, when it comes to 
giving, choosing generosity, we tend to reason that our gift may be too small to make a difference. So what do we do? We keep it to ourselves. I don't have enough. It's not enough. I'll just keep what I've got. Third reason, obstacle to his generosity was that he didn't have enough to give any away. Now I want you to listen closely to how I'm going to describe that. He didn't have enough to give any away. What, what I love about this boy is that he didn't say, you know, if I had eight biscuits and five fish, then I, I could keep five of the biscuits, give three away, eat three of the fish, and give two away. That would make sense. And by the way, that's a temptation in our giving, right? Like when I have enough, I'm going to be, choose to be generous. And I'm talking about generous in the community. Gen a generosity that reflects the gracious heart of God. The way we put it is, you know, you know when, I, when I make it, when I have enough and maybe a little extra, it'll be easier to give to God. You, you know what we're saying? We're saying, uh, when I have leftovers, I'll give them to God. You know what you never have in that scenario? Leftovers. When, when I have some leftovers, I'll choose generosity. Listen, one of the primary lessons of this story is that when we don't have enough, we can give it to God who makes leftovers. Do you see that? That's the message. See, when God multiplied the food, guess who ate to satisfaction? The little boy among 5,000 men. So that's what happens when we give to God our time, our talent, and our treasure. He takes what we offer Him, He uses it for the greater good, and then He multiplies it for us. The little boy experienced something that he would not have experienced had he not given all he had to God. And that was he experienced satisfaction. What he says to us without ever saying a word is that God doesn't ask us for what we do not have. He just asks us to be faithful with what we have. The boy knew he didn't have enough, but what he had, he was making available to God. Now, what happens next is incredible. It's the sign of who Jesus is, of how Jesus responds to our faithful, obedient generosity. Jesus, in that moment, when he finds out about the Happy Meal, he looks to his disciples and tells them, hey, I want you to arrange the crowd into groups. Now, understand what he's doing. Before he has enough food to feed them, he has them come to the table for dinner. That's the deal. Now, if Andrew saw their eyes roll, there's no question in my mind that in that moment, Jesus heard the snickers. 
they, they, the disciples, had to be blown away by what Jesus was asking them to do. See, they knew what the people who were sitting down to dinner didn't know. They didn't have any food. There wasn't enough there. But apparently, Jesus was going to try to feed that group anyway. Now, the disciples had a decision to make. They could have pulled Jesus over to the side and said, Really? This is, this is what's happening right now? We're going to have 5,000 men plus women and children sit down to have dinner, and you've got five biscuits and two small fish? Can we reevaluate this plan? But that's not what they did. They didn't confront Jesus about what they knew in that moment was a disaster of epic proportions. They chose instead to be obedient. They obediently sprang into action and sat the people down to eat. And as I said, it wasn't just a few people. There were 5,000 men, and so conservatively, that would push the number to 15,000 plus, because we know that women and children were there. There was one boy with a Happy Meal. So what happens? Look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Now, we, we, we would say that Jesus said the blessing. But I think it would be more appropriate to understand that Jesus asked the blessing. That's what we do. We ask God to bless what we're about to receive. He asked God in that moment to do what was impossible, to multiply bread and the fish, and that's exactly what God did because everyone in that moment ate as much as they wanted. As a matter of fact, there were leftovers Look at verses 12 and 13. When they had all had enough to eat, all of them, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now remember... This is a sign. It's a sign of who Jesus was and is and always will be. It is a sign of what Jesus and only Jesus could do. Jesus could turn a happy meal for one into a feast for thousands. And he would do it through people who had just a little bit of faith. Just enough to spring into action. People who had starter faith. But worked through their doubts and chose obedience. Now, that's the sign. Pointing people 
to Jesus. He's the one. But I want us to maybe do something you've never thought about doing. I want us to go back and think, now that we know everything that happened, let's think about what each of the main players in that sign would say to us on the other side of the sign. We know what they were saying and doing before and during the sign, but what would they say to us now? Let's start with Philip. You remember Philip? He's the one who never got started. He never embraced Jesus' vision for hospitality for the multitudes. What would he say? Trust his vision. When it doesn't make sense, place your faith in God's vision. Trust what he sees, not what you see. Trust what he says, not what you think. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. And I think Philip would say, believe him, join in the work, because that's where we experience the joy. Remember, he just, when, when Philip failed the test, he just moved on. Now, here, here's the question for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us who want to make a difference with our lives, to have an impact, to, to realize the purpose for which we were created. You have to trust. You have to, to risk faith. You have to join him where he's working so he won't have to work around you. Can you imagine Philip as he got older sitting around going, I, 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 you won't believe what I did. That You guys heard about Jesus feeding all those people. I missed it. I totally missed it. I could imagine him saying, this is one of the great regrets of my life. I let fear hold me back. I, I wasn't thinking about feeding, I was thinking about finances. I was embracing all the limitations and ignoring the one who could break through all the barriers. I think you'd say, place your faith in God's vision. Trust Him. What about Andrew? You know, Andrew, you know, at least he got it going, right? Found the boy, brought him to Jesus. I think Andrew would say, look, you don't have to apologize or offer disclaimers when you choose to live by faith. Don't, don't let other people dictate what you believe. By the way, don't even let your past dictate what you believe. Remember, Andrew was, he, he was kind of shrinking before the group that didn't have the same kind of optimistic faith that he did. How many times do, do we shrink back from standing up as followers of Jesus because we are afraid of what 
the group will say about us. I don't want anybody to think I'm weird or overbearing. And by the way, I've already declared in my in the past that I don't believe this. I can't believe that Jesus, Son of God, it just seems ridiculous to me. And, and, and yet here you are, you come to a place where your eyes are being opened. God is asking you to join his plan, to join his family by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. And now are you going to let the possibility of being embarrassed or shamed or having to be seen as one of those people who changed their mind Maybe even being weak and choosing faith. Are you, are you going to let that prevent you from joining God's family and from making a difference in His cause? You know what the Scripture teaches us? The shield of faith protects you. So what, what you do is just bring your prayers Offer your time, your gifts, and trust God with them. See what God does, because as we sang about earlier, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. I think Andrew would say, look, act on your faith with enthusiasm. But if you can't drum up any enthusiasm, at least act on your faith. Go for it. Just bring it to Jesus. Trust God. And He can take what you offer and change lives. You can be a part of making a difference. Changing the world you live in. Choose faith. So what would the little boy say? I think he would say, you know, when we give what we have to God, He satisfies us in ways that keeping what we have never could. Okay, I'm going to say that again. When we offer what we have to God, and, and you can take money off the table if you want to. We can talk about our time, our talent, our skills and gifts, when you give what you have to God and trust Him to lead you in doing what God has created you to do, with Him you will experience satisfaction and joy that you could never experience by keeping all those things to yourself, by using them for yourself. I think you would say, the little boy, trust God because he's faithful to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Can you imagine being that little boy and sitting there and watching everybody have dinner and thinking, that's my happy meal. Look, look what God did with what I offered. It wasn't enough from any angle. But God took what I offered and fed the multitudes. 
And can you imagine the smile that brought to his face? The inexpressible joy that he experienced because he saw God use what he offered. I'm sure that boy would say, go with it. Make what you have available. And you'll see God work. Do things that you'll never forget. And put a joy deep inside your heart and soul. That will never end. So we speculated what Philip would say, what Andrew would say to us, and what the boy would say to us. But what, what do you think Jesus would say on the other side of this miracle? Well, the fact is he said it. And John tells us what he said. Now, so here's, here's what happens. Jesus tells them, they all eat. Jesus tells his guys, look, make them go away. We've, we've, we've got to get some rest. And so the next morning, the people show up right back where Jesus fed them the night before, thinking, hey, maybe we can have breakfast too. That would be great. And they start looking around for Jesus, and they can't find him anywhere. What they didn't know was that in the dark of night, Jesus had his disciples row out across the lake, and he chose to join them later. It becomes a sign that we're going to talk about next week, and you're not going to want to miss that one. But they ended up back where they started, back at headquarters. And so the people are looking frantically for them. They finally give up and go home. And guess what? Jesus is there. They found him. This is what happened in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, right back where things started, they said, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you get here? And Jesus answered, not the question they were asking, but he answered anyway. Very truly I tell you, this is what he said, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, because I met a need in the moment. And then he says, y'all are missing it. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Jesus points out, He points out that they are only searching for Him because they ate bread and were filled. But Jesus wants them to understand that was just the fruit of the sign. They weren't there yet. Those people were hung up on what Jesus did for them right then. And, by the way, what they thought he might be able to do for them moving forward. But what they needed to do, what we need to do, is look past the material, look past the miracle, and to the message that it sent. They needed to follow the sign. And if they followed the sign, they would find the Messiah. Now, what was the message? Jesus says it clearly in John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I 
am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be first thirsty. Now that, that's not in a physical sense. It's in a spiritual sense. What, what Jesus is saying is if you stay focused on and keep looking for bread that brings temporary satisfaction, you're going to miss the point and spend all of your days looking for bread that will only ever temporarily satisfy you. Your appetite will always be engaged. It will always be crying for more. The message of this miracle points to Jesus as the bread of life that satisfies all our desires. Out of nowhere, those people were eating food and they're like, oh, that's amazing. It's like manna from heaven. We want more of this food. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. The point is, recognize what God did out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. He sent His Son Jesus stepping out of eternity and into time to make a connection with us that feeds our souls. Jesus, in saying, I'm the bread of life, He wasn't talking about a side dish. He wasn't talking about something you might tell people not to bring before your dinner because it'll fill you up. For them, bread was life. It would be more like Jesus saying, I am the food of life. I am everything that you need to live and live meaningfully. And this sign points to the fact that Jesus will satisfy all of our desires. The bread of life answers the questions of life. And in the process, it settles our soul. I don't know if you ever take the time to slow down and assess where you are, what you're doing, what you're searching for, what you have an appetite for. If we could just step back, what we would find is that when we're not walking with God, we're, we're just, we're trying the next thing that we think will satisfy. Right? So I, I, I think if I just had this, got this, or experienced this, I would be satisfied. And then we wake up the next morning and we're hungry again. And we look for something else. And we're always chasing something else. Jesus says, look, you were actually created to find satisfaction in your Creator. And I'm the bread of life. I bring that satisfaction. So Jesus is actually telling us to do what the crowd failed to do so important look beyond the blessing to the blesser 
Look beyond the blessing to the blesser. Why? Because God is the giver of all good things because God wants good things to point us to Him. Here's, here's what James chapter 1, verse 17 says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift. And so what, what Jesus is telling us to do, be thankful for the good things you have, recognize that they come from God, but don't get stuck on the blessings. They are signposts that point us to the blesser. The only one who really satisfies. The bread of life is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And He will satisfy your soul. Look no further. Look no further. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are so grateful for Andrew who thought to bring a child to your attention. We're thankful for the child who thought to give you everything he had. And we're thankful to you who chose to give us the son he loved to meet our deepest need. Lord, we, we recognize that while it's almost impossible to believe, we recognize that Jesus Christ, your Son, is enough. That His death on the cross and His resurrection gives us life, provides satisfaction for our souls. So I pray, Lord, that today there are those in this room that do not believe in you. I pray that today would be the day where their eyes are opened and they choose to take that step of faith to trust Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that they'll recognize that just like the disciples who had to have the folks seated before they ever knew where the food was going to come from, sometimes we just need to sit down at the table and believe that you're going to provide. We just have to exercise a little faith and then as we go with you, follow the signs, we discover that Jesus is the Messiah. So Lord, I, I pray that you would grant that kind of life-changing faith to those in this room who do not yet believe. And for those of us who do believe, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to choose enthusiastic faith so we can join you in what you're trying to do. 
Now, if you're if you're here today, I just want to as with your as you continue to pray. If if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, don't miss out. The scripture tells us that when the truth of the Jesus story is told, when the gospel is shared, that Christ draws people to himself. Okay, The, the Bible says that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see truth that we couldn't fathom that we would ever believe. And yet when that happens, it provides us an opportunity to respond. We choose to believe what yesterday we would never have believed. And what do we believe? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death, was buried three days later, was raised from the dead, so we could be connected to God. So we could have the bread of life and experience satisfaction and contentment as children of God. That's what placing your faith in Jesus does. Connects you with your Creator. So I would just challenge you, if you're, if you're not there, but you sense that God is leading you in that direction, don't pull a Philip. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. It just takes a little bit of faith to take that step. And God needs you. Transforms you. So my prayer is that if, if you don't believe that you'll consider faith in Jesus. My prayer is also for those of us who do believe that we'll choose to seek God's vision and obediently serve, live by faith. Father, thank you so much for teaching us the truth of your word today. By your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would guide us to peace, contentment, to life in Jesus, in whose name we pray.